0: The optimal life. So, Sean, I have to start with this. Oh, oh, you got to oh. say I O. Come on, I I see all these Michigan pictures. Oh, IO baby. Go blue. Baby. <laughs> what was your thought about uh, Harbaugh leaving uh, leaving for the uh, NFL?
1: I think it was pretty much expected. Um, you know, he did what he had to do, and you know, he hit the pinnacle and then left. And I think that's probably, you know, good, good for him. The way I look at it, I would, obviously I would love to keep
0: him, but at the same time, you can't blame the guy. Was this your favorite season of all time watching Michigan football?
1: Um, you know, I, it's hard to even remember. Cause you know, it was like, what last time was 26 years ago or something. They did it right.
0: Was that the, the Desmond Howard, uh, Heisman era? I think that was the, those days. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So.
1: Um, you know, um, yeah. So I would say yes, simply because it's, it's so new and it's been a couple decades since it happened last,
0: I assume is Michigan,
1: your alma mater. No, but, uh, my son is the head coach of Michigan hockey, my oldest stepson. Oh, cool. And so I've mentored him for the last 23 years, uh, been married to his mom for going on 18, and uh, so it was really cool. He played 2006 to 2009 for Red Berenson, and then he parlayed that into a hockey school that he scaled and exited, and ended up coaching for the Red Wings and the Wings in Michigan at fighting over him. And he got a five-year deal last year when he took him to the Frozen Four. He's having a rough year this year, but he lost a, a bunch of first-rounders last year, so it was rough yeah. on him. So
0: yeah, there's he, always those. There's always those cycles. The, the good news uh, about having studs is that you're going to win. The bad news about having studs is that they leave. (laughs) Exactly. You got to start over again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So my passion lies from that. And then I actually owned a personal training studio in Ann Arbor for five years when I started my career back in 2006 in the industry. So we can talk Mm. about that a little bit. Nice. nice.
0: Well, uh, what I've learned over the years, uh, and especially talking to a plethora of people in the health, wellness, personal development space, is that so very often we don't make changes in our lives until we hit essentially a rock bottom, until we face some real s- strict or strong adversity. And I believe your situation was no different. Over 20 years ago, you were going through some some tough times in life with a custody battle for your daughter. Take us back to those times and how that acted as a catalyst to really transform your entire life. I appreciate
1: you mentioning that. Yeah, that really was the catalyst to my whole career and, I was just after, after high school, you know, I was just bored and didn't have, you know, didn't have sports anymore. So I started pumping iron. So it was always like a side thing for me. Um, But then I got a a girl pregnant out of wedlock. And, um, you know, at that point in time, I was hanging around a lot of shady characters and I was partying a lot. And, you know, I was a weekend warrior. I was a blue collar guy Monday through Friday. And then I'd party all weekend. And of course, if I had my daughter, I'd set it all aside and try to spend time with her, but they kept her from me. So after she was born, uh, you know, they would drop her off periodically, like every six months when they needed a babysitter. Um, And of course that was ripping my soul apart. And so one day I was at a grocery store and of course I I had been pumping iron on the side just for fun. and never really had my diet cleaned up, but I saw a magazine article, um, in muscle media back when people read magazines and, um, it was about Body for Life, and it was actually called EAS Physique Transformation. So if you're an OG like me, you'll remember Body for Life. It was like a world-renowned body transformation contest back in the day. Bill Phillips is the guy who brought creatine to the bodybuilding world. And I read a story about a dad, and it kind of echoed my situation. He was fighting for custody, and he entered the contest, got his shit together, and um, it changed tra- it changed his life and it, and it inspired me to enter the contest. 90 days later, I ended up getting first runner up grand champion out of over 23,000 finishers. And I always talk about, you know, how I lost like a little, a little bit over 20 pounds of belly fat and I gained five pounds of muscle simultaneously. So it was a great body recap thing. And it, and it really taught me how to dial in my nutrition. But all of that was really just a bonus side effect because all that stuff had leaked over. So I stopped hanging around all these negative people stopped partying and doing drugs. And all of a sudden I was surrounded by a new ecosystem of positive like-minded friends. You know, my debt was all of a sudden paid off some burned bridges that I had. I went and mended, Um, you know, financially things turned around for me. My career blossomed. I ended up, you know, landing a modeling contract being on ESPN for a supplement company was featured in magazines. And I realized like fitness is the gateway drug to unlocking our full potential in every area of my life. But it all, it did start with rock bottom with, with my daughter.
0: Mm. So uh, the first, if I'm following you and the custody battle lasted about six years. Is that correct? Yeah, it was just off and on. What ended up happening was, you
1: know, uh, I ended up filing a petition to the court. And of course I don't want to get into the legal stuff, but when you're a dad, they don't really care. They just want you to pay the money for the child support. So I ended up having to petition the court three different times, once to file a blood test to prove she was mine, a second time because she wouldn't show up for the blood test, a third time to get enforced the, you know, congratulations, it's your kid, now you can pay child support, and then another time for visitation rights. Mm -hmm. And so it ended up being about a five to a six-year battle by the time it was all said and done. And at the end of that 90-day contest, I finally got joint legal custody rights, and now her and I are extremely tight. She's got three of my grandsons now, so that was years ago. But it just goes back to to this day all these years later i still turn to fitness as an anchor to get me through tough times in life
0: so she's the one that gave you you're able to have the title rip grandpa because of her
1: pretty much and then of course yeah. you know i have i've have seven other ones with my wife's family it's a mixed family right with my stepkids so we have 10 total right. grandkids yeah so good for you good for you That's yeah, it's awesome
0: yeah you you look and for anyone that that doesn't can't see you listening to the audio, go check him out on Instagram. The guy looks like he's about 30 years old. He's 53. So look at the, look at those guns. <laughs> um. So, but I do wanted to ask you uh, just touching on that still, because there's a lot of fathers and parents out there that may be struggling with something similar and they're having custody issues or they want to see their kids more or their kids are being held from them. Do you remember the, the, how did you handle the emotional aspect of that those those dark nights those quiet nights when you're trying to get a hold of your daughter and you can't you know honestly before the contest and before leaning on
1: that as my anchor i would just get drunk i would you know smoke weed i would take lsd you know at one point in time that was like my side gig as i was dealing lsd to i'd haul sheets of acid from ann arbor to birch run and make like you know a thousand dollars in a weekend dropping off bunch of sheets of acid to a farmhouse in Bertrand. So -hmm. for me, it was the wrong thing. And so what ended up happening is that fitness became a replacement for that, a substitution um, for it. And and then when I found fitness, I'm like, you know, you're not waking up hungover. You obviously have, you feel much better about yourself when it's a healthy endeavor, right? And then you discover, you start seeing how exercise and feeding your body the right way, all of a sudden now, I started being a better person in every other area. It affects you spiritually, relationally, emotionally, you know, not just physically. Sure.
0: And I would assume that it also impacted your emotional state in a positive way where you're able to absorb the negativity much more healthily. You're able to respond instead of waking up hungover and then feeling that added angst. You're able to wake up fresh and open-minded and feeling, okay, I can handle this. And, you know, it's
1: interesting you mentioned this and because there's a bunch of new research now coming out of Europe and even uh, developing here in the United States that exercise is more powerful than Prozac or other antidepressant drugs. Um, and they've done side-by-side studies. Now, people who are clinically depressed, I'm not going to sit here and make that blanket statement. They're going to need some help, right? But for the average Joe who just gets depressed because of everyday adversity and problems that happen to all of us, I mean, it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when we're all going to get punched in the face. Mm-hmm. You know? And fitness really, it becomes an anchor to get through those times when you get depressed as well. In my opinion, if you're a normal, healthy individual and you think you're depressed and you want to go seek medical assistance with the prescription drug, I think first and foremost, you should,
0: you should try exercise first. No doubt. Yeah. Some kind of strenuous physical activity. It 100%. can't go bad for you. I mean, it uh, there's nothing bad that comes of it.
1: No, all good. Well, unless you're dumb and you injure yourself, but yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's nothing bad that comes of working out or or doing some kind of martial art or any kind of activity. I mean, it doesn't have to be even that strenuous. It could just be walking. It can go for a light jog, you know, 100 percent. When you hear the word diet, what what happens to your insides? Do you just start to shake? First thing I do is say drop the (laughs) T. There you go. What do you get?
1: That's right. So talk to us, talk to us about it. Why, why, why don't you like the word? Well, if we want to look at actual research, um, it's, it's a foregone conclusion now that 94% of all dieters on the planet regain all or more of the weight they lose within a three month to a five year period afterwards. I think the biggest,
0: that's crazy. That's a shocking stat. Yeah.
1: And I think the biggest, and now there's like dozens of studies. I mean, there was a good one by UCLA where they did a rigorous analysis of 31 different diets. They compiled it into a meta-analysis, and that was the conclusion. 94% of people gained all or more of their weight back. Mm. And we've done this with Biggest Loser Contest six years after the show. I think it was season seven. There was only one person that kept the weight off. All of them had weighed just as much as they did when they started the show, or a few of them weighed even more.
0: And wow. there's a and these whole, are people. A, let me. I'm sorry to interject, yeah. but these are people that have lost hundreds of pounds. Exactly. Wow, and then they're putting they they go find them a year later, a couple of years later, and they're they're bigger than they were when they first started.
1: Yeah, and it, and it goes back to there's a few reasons why. Number one, you know, the best diet to follow, and I, I hate the word diet. I don't. I try not to use it, but the best diet to follow is one you could adhere to, right? Sustainability is everything, and this is exactly why this happens because diets aren't sustainable because you end up eliminating entire food groups. Right. And so not only that, when you start eliminating food groups and you start putting yourself in a deficit for, you know, long periods of time, there's a metabolic and hormonal rebound effect, metabolic adaptation and hormonal decline that naturally happens. And if you don't address those issues, then you're going to struggle with the rebound effect, not only hormonally and metabolically, but also mentally because it's going to affect you that way. And so for me, I'm a huge advocate of what I call my RG carb cycling, my Rip Grandpa carb cycling, and I've been using it for a couple of decades to stay lean because you don't have to eliminate entire food groups. I mean, there's literally no reason in the world to eliminate any food groups from your diet unless you have a sensitivity or an allergy. Now, with that being said, um, if we want to look at studies side by side, I mean, one of the biggest myths I think in the industry is that carbs make us fat. Um, And of course, we all go back to the type of carbs, but if, you, if calories and protein are created equal, okay, and you're a low-carb dieter or a high-carb dieter, the results are going to be exactly the same. And they've done side-by-side studies with diabetics on low-carb and high-carb diets. And when their calories and their protein are equal, they have the same weight loss, they have same cholesterol, same blood sugar, same blood pressure as well. And I could give multiple examples on carbs themselves. I mean, Chris Voigt, ate 20 potatoes a day um, for 60 days in a row, lost 22 pounds and his blood work was incredible. And all he did is eat potatoes every day, all day long. So we can look at the blue zones across the world. These are the cultures that live, have more centurions that live to hundred than any other cultures in the world. And most of them are high carb diets. And so this goes back to the activity level of those cultures, the type of carbs that you eat. And of course, my philosophy with my hormone reset solution is, timing them properly, combining and pairing the foods together, carbs with it properly, right? And then at the end of the day, I also work in strategic high-carb cheat meals because I think that's important, right? For me, it's all about a
0: lifestyle
1: and adherence.
0: Right, well, and- the the cheat, meal, the cheat meal allows you to at least still enjoy yourself so that you do avoid the falling off the cliff after whatever it is like, holy cow, I've been depriving myself and now I'm just going to go nuts because I can't take this anymore.
1: And I think that's why carb cycling is so appealing because you're still getting your carbs in the normal everyday eating of the dietary plan itself. Plus you're getting the cheat meal. The key word is strategy, right? It's all about following a strategy. And there is a lot of science behind timing and combining and uh, the cheat meals, the carbs and the way that you pair your foods together. Now, with that being said, I'd like to preface this because there's a huge difference between Outcomes versus mechanisms. So, when we talk about uh, my mechanisms, I talk about we could talk about facet training versus fed training, right? We could talk about timing your meals properly. We could talk about all these different things. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a calorie deficit at least five days a week, you don't get adequate protein, water, and sleep, and you don't know how to dial in your exercise plan nothing else I can teach you on the mechanism side is going to matter. So I could teach you all these mechanisms and tricks and you and I could sit here and go over a dozen of them together. But if you're not in a deficit, at least five days a week, you're not getting your protein, you're not getting your water,
0: exercise, and your sleep, nothing I teach you will matter. So is that the most important, those things that you just mentioned? Because someone that's sitting here listening go, okay, what do I need to do, Sean? I'm overweight, I'm sluggish, I don't feel great about myself. What is some low-hanging fruit, tips and tricks. Is the first thing you say to them, you got to be in a calorie deficit for five days a week? No, the first thing I say is increase your protein intake in every single meal because
1: it's always a game changer for every client.
0: And what is the, what what kind of protein should somebody, I know it varies based on body weight. What should they be looking to achieve every day? If you're an
1: exerciser, you know, we can look at multiple studies across the board, but the sweet spots around one gram per pound of your goal body weight, if you're an exerciser. And of course there's dozens of studies that show if you take two groups of dieters, for example, if you took your twin, okay, and you and your twin consumed and burned the same amount of calories on a daily basis, but your, your twin simply did one thing. They replaced some of the fats and carbs with protein. Your twin would win the race every single time. Your twin would lose more weight. They would have a faster metabolism through the thermic effect of protein, DIT, which is diet induced thermogenesis. They would have less hunger and cravings because what fills you up faster, beef or bread, right? Mm-hmm. You can get a whole basket of bread and not be full, right? right? And they're gonna lose less muscle, which is one of the number one side effects of not only aging is sarcopenia or muscle loss, but also the number one side effect of dieting is muscle loss. So there's five reasons right there why protein is the king of all macronutrients. Now, with that being said, a lot of people will come at me with the myth of protein leading to early death, or harming the kidneys, or clogging your arteries. And all of this is a myth. When we look at meta-analysis of red meat eaters across the globe, and we put them all together in like five to 10-year studies, the processed meat is problematic. But those who eat just regular animal meat, which is the best protein on the planet by far, the most complete and satiating foods that you can eat are meat and eggs, right? Um, at the end of the day, high-protein diets are king. And they've also followed exercisers and dieters who eat over one gram up to one and a half gram of protein per pound of their goal body weight for a year straight, and there's no kidney damage at all. So that's also a myth. So um, the best thing that you can—I'm a huge on acronyms, so I always tell people, "What's the first tip I'm going to give you outside of you know get your water and your sleep?" I'm going to say consume meds in every meal. What do I mean by meds? Meat, eggs, dairy, or seafood, and then I recommend using protein shakes to fill in the missing gaps. Meat, eggs, dairy,
0: seafood. Okay, yep. Get your so bag. protein. Protein is king. Um, you you want to try to one gram of protein per day for every pound for your target target weight. Um, if, uh, if
1: you're not active and you're sedentary, the research shows point six. I would always say point seven, just to err on the side of overeating protein. A little more protein. Yeah. 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 So I've also. When I did 75 hard on the contest, 75 hard with a bunch of my buddies, I did an experiment on my body and I took my protein intake to 275 to 300 grams a day. Now, normally I shoot for around 200 grams. So Mm -hmm. I upped it. And um, of course we were doing, you know, 75 hard, you do two 45 minute workouts a day. So I ended up walking for one of those workouts because I'm too old. I can't recover from all that stuff. But I experimented my blood work before and after that protein raise was incredible. My, my nurse practitioner was blown away. My triglycerides got better. My cholesterol got better. Everything on my blood work got better. And my protein intake was skyrocketed through the roof. Now, there's no way I could eat that much meat, eggs, dairy, and seafood. So protein shakes were a key to, to for me to hit that mark. Yeah. And, but the, the,
0: you you haven't kept that up. You just did that for 75, correct? Yeah, I did
1: it for 60 days, actually, during 75 hard. Okay. I just wanted to see what would happen. So I-, I For everyday living as a lifestyle, I shoot for my 200 grams, and I still need a protein shake or two every day to hit that
0: mark. Nice. Okay. So protein number one. What else? What else would you recommend to somebody? You talked about calorie deficit. Explain that. Well, you just, you know, on a daily basis,
1: at least what I recommend is Monday through Friday. You want to burn off more than you consume on a daily basis. Now, most people think they, and this is one of the biggest myths out there is more cardio. Right. And actually, you know, an hour of cardio burns like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich.
0: So you might as well just skip the sandwich. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <go>. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when, when you say it like that, geez, people are going, holy shit. You know?
1: <laughs> well, yeah. and here's the thing about cardio cardio should be viewed as a longevity and a health tool to live longer, to strengthen your heart more than it is a fat loss tool. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be part of a regimen or part of a plan. But at the end of the day, your body's going to burn more calories throughout the day to put you in a deficit through your NEAT, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So this is just me standing right here in front of a computer instead of sitting, me walking around when I'm on calls, parking out further in the parking lot, taking the stairs instead of the elevator. If people just do that and increase their protein intake, they'll see a huge difference as a lifestyle right there. Just those two little things. It's a little hinge that might take some time, but over, t-
0: over that time, it's going to end up moving a big door. So is a, a standard calorie deficit, what is that like 1800 calories or less per day? Well, it just depends on your body
1: weight and what your goal weight is, right? So here's the rule of thumb that I follow. And I get a lot of shit when I say this from all the gurus out there because of what the science shows, but we have human error to account for, right? So I personally, and, and here's the thing, I don't want to, here's what you need to do. I'd like to preface it like, here's what I do. And here's what I do with my private paying clients. Right, And for me personally, when I look at this, I take 10 times my goal body weight when I want to cut fat. And that is the number of calories I shoot for on a daily basis. So I weigh 190 pounds. That's 1,900 calories a day. Now, the gurus will come at me and that's bullshit. You don't know what you're talking about. But at the end of the day, we, un- we underestimate how many calories we consume by 30%. So I know if I hit around 1,900 a day, I'm really around 2,500. 2,400 Mm. because of the way that we count calories. Now I'm not weighing, I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm just simply Mm. estimating. And I think that that's a realistic approach for everybody. When we talk like portion sizes, I teach my clients and personally, I'm just like, okay, fist size portion of carbs, two palms of protein and a thumb of friendly fat. Boom, done. We don't have to count calories or grams that way, but 10 times your goal body weight is the number you should shoot for, because then you're going to end up around 12 times your goal body weight, and that's going to allow you to
0: cut fat without losing muscle as long as protein intake is high enough. Yep, back to the protein. All right, so let's get into your specialty. I, re- I want to hear about this, this whole thing with, you, you teased it a little bit, with hormones and me- metabolism, but that's really where you come in, and I think that this is where you may separate yourself from a lot of other people that I've seen. Talk to us about this. Let's start with this three-step hormone reset. What is this, and how does it work? Basically,
1: the three steps are the car. It's basically food timing, so uh, timing your foods properly, combining your foods or pairing them properly, and then of course strategic high carb cheat meals to help with adherence and hormonal entrainment. And so, there's when we talk about timing your foods properly. Okay, for me personally, I'm a huge fan of intermittent fasting. It's not something that I make my clients do or I force them to do it all. It's a it's a case by case basis, and at the end of the day. If you consume your last meal of the day and your first meal of the day close to the same window, okay, Monday through Friday, you'll get something called hormonal entrainment. And what this means is that your circadian rhythm will start being dialed in, just like going to bed and waking up close to the same time every day. You do it with your first and your last meal of the day, the same type of effect starts happening where now your body doesn't start releasing ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone, until later in the day. So people will first start fasting that struggle with hunger. Number one, just drink more water. Number two, you're going to find that you, after about a week of doing it, you'll retrain your ghrelin pulses so that your ghrelin will not release until later in the day. So I literally do not even get hungry until noon, one or two o'clock in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. And then, of course, I create a lifestyle plan that caters to your social life. I take the weekends off, have breakfast with my grandkids, do what I want to do. Um, but by doing this, now you're getting with that hormonal entrainment and you're in control of your hunger. And of course, what's the death of every diet? What do people do? They eat too much because they're hungry. Right. And, and, and just piggybacking off that sometimes it's okay to be hungry. Okay. Like if you're hungry, it doesn't mean you're dying. It
0: means you're burning fat. Okay. So or, when you say it's okay to be hungry, it's okay to live with that hunger is really what you're saying. Once in a while, if you get a hunger pang. That hunger pang
1: is ghrelin talking. When you say say ghrelin, is that G-R-E-L-I-N? G-H-R-E-L-I-N. G-H. Yes, yes. And when ghrelin releases, it's actually a precursor to growth hormone. And this is why extended periods of fasting increase growth hormone too. Because when you're in a fasted state, your body's sympathetic nervous system kicks up really high. And this is your body's fight or flight response. It's like when you see a bear in the woods and you take off running, you're going to run faster than you ever did in your life because your SMS kicks up. And this releases, coaxes the pituitary to release more growth hormone, right? It stabilizes blood sugar. And when insulin is stable, it makes it easier for the body to access stored fat as a fuel source. And you're releasing more glucagon, which is your blood sugar hormone. So this is all during the fasted window. Now, with all that being said, It goes back to the deficit in protein. If you wanted to eat six, seven small meals a day from sunup to sundown, and at the end of those days, you and I were burning the same, we were consuming the same, we had the same protein intake, right? We'd get the same results, but who's going to have a harder time sticking to the plan? The guy who eats from sunup to sundown, seven, six, seven small meals, or the person who just has to get three or four man-sized meals that are going to fill you up. So for me, it comes back to adherence. So when we look at side-by-side studies, there's nothing magical about weight loss when it comes to intermittent fasting. It just makes adherence easier. And at the end of the day, what is the best diet to follow? One that you can adhere to. So that's another reason I'm a huge fan of intermittent fasting. And of course, then there's the hormonal aspect which many times cannot be measured on a weight loss plan. And so just piggybacking off the three-step hormone reset. So timing your meals properly, the second step to that is carbs consumed in the pre or post-workout window are gonna be way less likely to be stored as fat because you're gonna utilize them for energy and they're gonna replenish depleted glycogen. So after a workout, the muscle, your muscles are almost like a sponge that's been wrung dry. And so there's room in the tank to absorb extra glucose from carbohydrates at that time. And research shows, especially in the post-workout window, There's a two-hour window, and we always talk about this magic window. And at the end of the day, it's a 24-hour cycle, but there's a two-hour window where your body's ability to resynthesize and absorb glycogen into muscle and liver tissue is greatly enhanced. At that two-hour mark, research shows that glycogen replenishment can decline by up to 50%. Now, carbs eaten in that two-hour window have also been shown in research to have up to a 73% higher TEF or thermic effect of food. In other words, carbs' ability to boost your metabolism goes up over 70% in the post workout window.
0: Mm. So, okay, so the ghrelin is one of the hormones. What other, are there other hormones, Sean, that we're playing with, for lack of a better word, that yes. we're setting? What else? What would they be?
1: Well, when you pair your foods properly, which is the second step in my mechanism, you stabilize insulin better. And this is going to help with energy and health and keeping your body in more of a fat burning environment. One of, the, one of the mechanisms I give people is just never eat carbs by themselves, like a starchy carb or a fruit. They're going to raise insulin higher and faster than other foods. So it's always in your best interest to combine that starchy carbohydrate or that fruit with a protein. It's going to stabilize the blood sugar, right, and it's going to help you hit your protein mark. I always say, never go, never eat a meal without complete protein in it. That's just my, one of my philosophies. So now we're playing with insulin a little bit. We're keeping insulin levels more stable. And this is just for overall weight loss, overall health, and overall body composition is going to be helpful. Now, with that being said, it's a mechanism. It's not the be all end all because we've looked at high carb versus low carb dieters, right? So when protein and calories are created equal. So that's your second hormone. The third mechanism is my strategic high carb cheat meals are carb loading on the weekends. And the reason this is so effective is because of your leptin and your thyroid hormones. So during the week, Monday through Friday, it's easier to be more structured. So for me, it's easier to be in a deficit and I can manipulate carbs and go a little lower on the carb side. I just time those carbs in the pre or the post-workout window. And I keep my body in a deficit Monday through Friday. But when you're in a deficit for five consecutive days in a row, the research shows that you start down-regulating your metabolic rate because thyroid and leptin hormones start declining. And so most people don't know this, but thyroid hormones themselves communicate with leptin. They help regulate your body weight and control the speed of your BMR, your basal metabolic rate. Okay. Now, thyroid hormones are a glycoprotein. Glyco means glucose. So your body needs glucose to produce thyroid hormones. And this is why people who go on like a keto diet for extended period of time, a lot of them end up needing thyroid medication because their body is just not producing thyroid hormones the way it needs to. So I'm not bashing keto. It's just another diet in my book. I don't care if it's paleo, Mediterranean. I don't care if it's the latest Noom, Whole30, whatever it is. Research is a researcher, 94% or if you follow that diet, you're gonna gain a dollar more back unless you're one of the 6% which chances are very low. So that being said, when we downregulate these thyroid and leptin hormones every week and our metabolism slows down, this is called metabolic slowdown, by carb loading every week, and now we're catering to our social life, right? Makes it easier to adhere to. And at the same time, we're resetting both of these hormones, increasing our basal metabolic rate back up. And then you can rinse and repeat. So for me, it's like a five-day cycle of fat loss and then a two-day carb load and kind of a diet break.
0: So, in layman's terms, then, with all these different hormones, what is the what's going on with these hormones um, that's making the body optimize for fat loss? As in, so you're saying it's just you're you're saying like yours. You look at it from a hormone reset standpoint. Like all these hormones are intertwined, and if we're manipulating them based upon diet uh, based upon timing windows, all that kind of stuff. Why are the, why is hormone, why is this? not? I guess my question is really, why is hormone really not talked about when you think about fat loss in the mainstream? Why are you the, one of the only ones talking about it? That's a great question, dude. I mean, I honestly do not, I'm surprised
1: more people don't talk about it. I think this, the challenge goes back to outcomes versus mechanisms. Because I could give you all these hormonal mechanisms, but at the end of the day, if you go back to the deficit, right, the protein, the water, the sleep, and, and, and the consistent exercise, then all these mechanisms I just shared don't mean shit. Um, so, and I think that that's why uh, it's not talked about because people can't even get the basics down, for gosh sakes, right? They can't even be in a deficit, get the adequate protein that they need, the water, the sleep, and, and, and the right type of exercise protocol. And of course, we could have a whole other podcast on my exercise strategies right. that literally, my whole philosophy is synergize your diet and exercise to work together. And that's, that could be a whole nother podcast, but it's a simple philosophy. And that is, is that, you know, the, the whole outcome of the calorie deficit, protein, water, exercise, sleep, that doesn't work. My mechanisms don't work. What really works is the synergistic effect of them working together consistently. Right? So for me, a lot of people will go on a diet or try to lose weight. They go all in on something. Either it's, no carbs, or it's all cardio, or it's, you know, they're going crazy with fitness classes and doing goofy ass shit. And the thing is, at the end of the day, it's not one of those things that's going to get you the results. It's being consistent with the basics. So the synergistic compounding effect of diet, exercise, and the mindset working together are 10 times more powerful than the individual parts alone because of the compounding effect of those. Does that make sense?
0: I believe it does. Uh, And you specialize in people over 40 because us 40 plus people, forties and fifties and beyond. Hey man, it's over with, we can't get in shape. We can't look like the rip grandpa. You know, this is, this is the way most, a lot of people feel. And you're here to say, that's just complete bullshit. You could do it. It is about your, it is about your your BS, your belief system.
1: Right. Right. So for me, The facts are the facts. I mean, when I turned forty, it got harder. This is what made me create this whole plan. My wife was fried, um, but her ovaries were fried from chemo and radiation from having cancer. It forced her into early menopause. She's ten years older than me, so I started studying hormones. And then when I turned forty, your metabolic rate slows down, sarcopenia increases, you start losing more muscle, hormones start declining. So for me, it was all about how do I create a, a, a lifestyle plan to address these issues and allow people to sustain the program ongoing long-term as a lifestyle. There it
0: is, sustain. Yes. Anybody could get to the top of the hill in life, but holding the hill in anything in life is the key. And that's where the challenge comes in. A hundred percent, you know? And so, again, goes
1: back to the best diet pill you can ever swallow is consistency.
0: And then, so I would assume, again, that's where so many people struggle. Uh if you're in their 40s and 50s what is a common what are some common pitfalls Sean that you see even with your clients hey they're they're following they're they're going through it they're doing great but i assume that there's some of them too at times that they start to they might start to crumble a little bit what are some of those pitfalls and how do you help them avoid them
1: Well i think number 1 is goes back to not enough protein number 2 too much cardio you know, they think cardio is the answer to fat loss and it's really not
0: um and cardio if look- really people should be doing cardio for just mental health and, and well-being and peace of mind cardio you know, is not there to burn the fat
1: you and not only that i mean yes it can be part of the compounding effect equation to help with the fat loss but at sure. the end of the day you know we look at if we look at cardio's mechanism what it's really for is heart health and longevity mm-hmm. right and sure. you know there's new research showing the lactic acid that's released released during high intensity interval training, for example, can lengthen telomeres and increases mitochondrial biogenesis, Genesis, right? Those have nothing to do with fat loss. These are all anti-aging effects that take place. So, you know, it's a different conversation for the anti-aging side of things, but yeah, number one mistakes, not enough protein. Number two is way too much cardio. And number three is just thinking, you know, false beliefs. Um, you know, thinking that something that they did in the past that worked temporarily because they put a Band-Aid on a broken bone, they have this false belief they need to go back to that. And I have to break those false beliefs, um, get them eating more protein, make them understand they need to be replacing a lot of that cardio with weight training. Because if you're a small, if you're an apple or a pear-shaped body and all you do is cardio and eat right and diet your way to a skinnier fat body, right? You end up being a smaller pear apple. You need to train with weights. Who's this
0: coach, Terrell, your partner here?
1: She's my internet wife. We call her. We joke about it all the time. Everybody thinks she's my wife. Um, (laughs) She's just a girl on my team. She's been with me almost 10 years now. And, um, you know, she has the same type of philosophy I have.
0: And of course, we just use her to coach the females. Nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So you guys are helping men and women again, 40 plus. Uh, So what does it look like if somebody wants to work with you? How do they go about doing that? Well, you can find us on all the social handles. The
1: The company name is get lean after 40. And then the, a couple of the handles will be the rip grandpa. So if you just look up the rip grandpa on YouTube or on Instagram, um, we're starting to play a lot more on LinkedIn now because that's where a lot of the businessmen play and the business women. Um, and then you can go to the ripgrampa.com and you can hop in to my hop onto my newsletter. And I just send out a lot of this content on a daily, daily basis. That's site. beautiful
0: stuff. Hey, uh, final thoughts, and we've linked this in the show notes, you guys. If you want to see more about Sean and his company, you can go to the links. We've got the Instagram, Facebook, et cetera. Uh, final thoughts. Again, we've we've talked about it, but but people are listening. They're 40. They're 50. They're in a rut. They thought they were going to do New Year, New Me in 2024. It's already, they already missed out. <laughs> they did it for two weeks, and they were like, no, this isn't for me. And they just feel that this is the rest of their life. The rest of their life is going to be this. What's your message?
1: Well, I think that you you need to drop the drop the T on the diet. I mean, that's the, like, you know, you need to begin with the end in mind, right? And, the, and, and if you're going to begin with the end in mind, it's like if you're going to climb a ladder of dieting, you have to remember the consequences of doing that because you're going to have a rebound effect. And instead, you're better off taking an approach that you know is sustainable, back to that word sustainable, and that can be used as a lifestyle. Um, Because at the end of the day, you think you want to get aggressive and follow some crash diet, but the hormonal and metabolic and psychological rebound effect can be more powerful than people anticipate. So always begin with the end in mind. What's your BS? Your belief system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could have no other podcast on that. I mean, the way that people's minds work on weight loss, um, you know, their study. And you
0: you know what, Sean, maybe we should do a part two. That would be fun. I really think so. Hey, awesome. Connecting with you. Great stuff. No, man. Great questions, dude. Thank you.